are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I like the way you're thinking. Why not spend spring break right here in Bethany, Oklahoma? You know, I love my church, and I love the fact that I get to study and pray and seek God's guidance, and then... On Sundays, I get to come and share with you what I'm learning, and we get to journey together and learn and grow together. So um, research companies do polls and find statistics for us, and um, in 2014, Pew Research came out with new findings, and, and they said, we asked people, adults in the U.S., do you believe that there is a place called heaven that you could potentially go when you die? And so... Two-thirds, over two-thirds of the adults in America said, we believe that there is a place called heaven that you could potentially go when you die. Then they ask a second question, of course, do you believe that there is a place called hell that you could potentially go when you die? And so, not as many, but the overwhelming majority of Americans said, yes, we believe that there is this other place called hell that you could go when you die. It's always funny uh, when they keep digging a little deeper, and there's been many studies that have asked people, so uh, do you believe that you might go to hell when you die? And the response is that almost nobody checks that box. Nobody thinks that I've lived my life bad enough that, that I could potentially you know, go to hell when I die. But when I ask a follow-up question, and this gets kind of comical, Do you think you know somebody who might go to hell when they die? Everybody checks that box, you know. Uh, I'm not going, but I'm pretty sure I have a friend or two who might go, you know. I think what it does is it teaches us something about ourselves. And I think it teaches us something about humanity, and that is that at the core of our being, we want to be good and see ourselves as good. It's really important that, uh, that I see good in myself. And it's really important to me that you see good in me. In fact, even if I can't be good, I still want you to think that I'm good. Even if I struggle to be good and I admit to myself that right now I'm not being very good, I still want you to think I'm good. So let me just talk to you about that for a moment. If, if somebody said about you, you're not a good person, that would be hard to deal with. Well, what do you mean I'm not a good person? No, 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 you're not. You're, you're, you're not a very good person. That, that would be highly offensive. And so we're in this series called The, Magni- the Magnificent Story. And, and there's a book called The Magnificent Story written by James Bryan Smith that is inspiring and helps shaping this series. And, and here's the bottom line today. Here's what he would say. We all have a deep need for goodness to be good. You have it, I get it. He would say the reason we have it is because we were created in the image of God and we have this longing, this need, this desire for goodness. We want to be good. We want to not only be seen as good, but we want to see good in ourselves. We want, we want to be good. You want to be good. 
You want people to see you as good. And so, if that's the case, then what's the struggle? And let me identify the struggle for you, okay? If you want to open your Bible with me this morning to the book of Genesis, okay? Genesis chapter 1. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to start with verse 1, okay? Genesis 3, verse 1. And I'm going to take you back to this very familiar passage of Scripture that talks about sin coming into the world through Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, all right? So, here's what's happened. God has created in chapters 1 and chapter 2, the heavens and the earth, and everything in them. And then when we get to chapter 3, verse 1, here's what happens. Now, the serpent was more crafty than all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And the serpent said to the woman, now, you've got to admit to yourself before I read the words, this is deceit, okay? That's what is attempting to happen here. I'm going to twist words, I'm going to try to confuse and be deceptive. Did God really say you must not eat from any, and any is the key word, in tree in the garden? And the woman knows better, and the serpent knows better, and so she corrects him and says, well, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it. Well, what will happen if we touch it? You will die. So, the serpent responds, Well, you will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God knowing good from evil. Now, the goal of the serpent, of the enemy, the devil, is to destroy Adam and Eve's relationship with God. So let me ask you a question, all right? If you want to destroy the relationship between two people, how would you go about that? You would first ask, well, what are relationships based on and built on? What's the answer to that question? Trust. And so if I want to destroy the relationship between you and somebody else, then what I do is I begin to question the trust between the two of you. And so that's what the serpent does. He says, wait a minute, I don't think God's shooting straight with you. In fact, I think God's lying to you. The truth is that if you eat of the fruit, you're not going to die. The truth is, He knows you're going to have life. You're going to have all of this knowledge. You're going to become like God. God's trying to hold you down. He's trying to keep you at a lower level. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for the food, which means it's, it's going to satisfy my, my hunger appetite, and it pleased the eye, it satisfies an aesthetic appetite, and it's also desirable for gaining wisdom, it, it satisfies this desire for knowledge, she took some and she ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open, but it wasn't good. God was right after all because they realized that they were naked. And so what do you do when you realize you're naked? They, they sewed some fig leaves together and they, they made a cover for themselves. And they tried now to hide because they felt shame. So this is God's word for us today. And God speaks to us clearly through His word. Um... 
I remember teaching a, uh, a college class back maybe eight, nine years ago. And it was an adult uh, studies program at a university, and, um, and they were all education majors, but there was this one requirement, and it was a religion class that everybody had to take. And so it's kind of a basic understanding of the Bible. And so in the class, I get to uh, Genesis chapter 3. And I lead with a story, and here's the story I said to these people. It's one of the most profound stories I've ever heard. There was a little girl, and the little girl was walking over a mountain path because she was going to her grandmother's house to spend the night. Fun, huh? And as she is walking up the mountain path, and she gets up to the top of the mountain and now headed over, she stops in the middle of the path, startled, stopped, scared, because in the path there lays a snake. And the little girl jumps and says, Huh, you scared me. And the snake says, You have no reason to be afraid of me. And the little girl says, Well, I certainly do because you are clearly a snake. And the snake says, Well, I would never hurt you. And the little girl says, You wouldn't. And the snake says, No. Have you ever considered the fact that I'm beautiful? And the little girl said, No, because you're a snake. Oh, the snake says, Look at the design on my skin, the diamonds, the configuration. Look at the way I glisten in the sun. Look at my colors. They're beautiful. And the little girl said, why my, I've never thought about it, but you are beautiful. And the snake said, where are you headed? The little girl said to my grandmother's, oh, that's not far. You'll, you'll get there in plenty of time, way before the night falls. Oh, yeah, she says, I'll be there soon. He goes, not so much for me. I have to crawl on my belly everywhere I go. Gets cold up here at night. I wish I could get down the mountain path before it gets cold. You don't think maybe you would, no, I shouldn't ask. And the little girl says, no, ask what? You wouldn't give me a ride, would you? Oh, I don't think I should do that. You're a snake. Well, I wouldn't hurt you. You really wouldn't hurt me? No. Here's what you could do. You could just sit down on the rock. I would crawl into your pocket. And as you go down the path, I would get the free lift. And I wouldn't spend the night up here in the cold, in the mountain. The girl says, I don't know. Come on. I promise you. I would never hurt you. You wouldn't? No. And so the little girl says, well, I guess it's okay. And so she sits down on the rock. And the snake crawls into her pocket. And she stands up, and she starts down the mountain path, but only about five or six steps in, the snake bites her on the side. And she grabs the snake and pulls it out of her pocket and throws it to the ground and says, You lied to me! And before the snake slithers off into the bushes, he says to the little girl, You knew what I was when you picked me up. And so I say to that class of students that I'm teaching, what do you think about the story? And there's a lady sitting over to my right who just immediately kind of responded, I hate the story. And I said, why do you hate the story? And you know what she said to me? Because it's my story. 
And I said to her, the truth is, it's everybody's story. At some point in all of our lives, we picked up the snake. So Paul makes that idea really clear in the book of uh, Romans when he says, for all, meaning everybody, no exceptions, not even in this room, all, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The, the truth of the matter is, everybody has sinned and everybody, 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 no exceptions, is capable of sin. And so we, we have this wrapped up in theological teaching that we call the doctrine of original sin. The idea is that at some point in everybody's life, they believed the lie and they picked up the snake, which is in essence sin. Okay? We'll talk about that more in a minute. But, but the understanding is, in the story that I read you a moment ago with Adam and Eve, that when sin enters the world, sin enters human nature, and Adam and Eve now pass that along to all of their offspring for all time, and so we are all, we say, born in sin. We are all prone to sin. We all lean towards sin. We have all sinned and we are all capable of sin. And theologians throughout the years have said it's the most provable doctrine that we have. Because when we look around, even at ourselves, we see the evidence of sin everywhere. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. I think if we go back to the original idea that we started with, we all have this longing to be good, this desire for goodness, to be good. Then, then why do we sin? I mean, if you have this longing within you to be good and you want people to think, I'm a good person. Then, then, then why do we sin? And so, I want you to hang on for a minute. I, I, I don't want you to let your minds wander right now. If they wander ever, don't let it be now, okay? Give me full looking up at the pastor, would you? I think this is the issue. All sin comes down to one question. Who do you trust? I believe this with everything in me. All sin comes down to one question. And that question is, who do you trust? So think back with me about the story again, okay? Adam and Eve in the garden. And God says, don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden because if you do, you will surely die. And then the serpent comes along and says to Eve, hey, Eve. Did God really say that you shouldn't eat from any tree? No, no, He didn't say that. He said don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden or we would die. And He says, oh, no, no, you're not going to die. In fact, you will become like God and you will, you will have life. God's just trying to keep you down. And for the first time ever, Eve has been confronted with a very powerful question. And the question is, Eve, can you trust God? Or would God lie to you? And what Eve does is decides that she is going to trust something other than God. And that is the definition of sin. So let me, let me just ask you, is that, is that the way your life works? Uh, is that the way life is lived out for you? Is that, is that something that you can relate to? Would you say, yeah, hey, I get it. Because God is telling me, live life this way. If you want the best possible life, if you want life to be full and good and great and abundant and eternal, okay, this is the way you should live your life. But, but everybody in the room says, Rick, but I've heard this other story. 
And somebody is telling me another story, and they're saying, oh, no, no, no. If you want your life to be awesome, this is the way you live your life. And all sin comes down to one question. Who do you trust? And so everybody in the room has a story. There was a day that I believed that snake would not bite me. And I picked it up. Okay, so if we all have a desire to be good, but sin has been an issue for all of us, where do we go from here? Um, I had a professor once. I, I didn't know him well. I didn't necessarily, you know, think he was a great professor. He was okay. I, I didn't. I did the work. He gave me a grade. I moved on. Uh, but I remember one day in class, um, he was trying to make a point really strong, and here's what he said. And and it's amazing to me how words have such power in a person's life because these words begin to shape my story. Okay, here's what he said. He said, and I'm going to use the H word again, okay, just and the S word too. So here we go. He says, we all have sinned and we all deserve hell. So he took quite a bit of time to, you know, explain that. And it was amazing to me how, how much those words began to shape my understanding of life. And it became my story. And so we talked a few weeks ago about shrunken versions of the gospel, right? And there's this version out there that says, you know, I'm bad. I'm just kind of this dirty, rotten, no good, no account for nothing sinner. I'm bad. God's mad. And Jesus took my beating. You say, well, what are you trying to say, Rick? That's not true. Well, there's elements of that story that are true. Which makes that story believable, but no, it's not completely true. Well, are you saying that your professor was wrong, that you haven't sinned and you don't deserve hell? I'm not saying that either. I have sinned. All have sinned. Have I done anything to deserve God's forgiveness and grace? No, I, I don't deserve it. However, the fact that I have sinned is not where my story begins. And so I want to challenge you this morning to think with me in a way that maybe you haven't thought in the past, okay? And, and, and this is where we're going to go for the next few minutes here, okay? The story of humanity does not start with sin. This is not where your story begins. This is not where my story begins. This is not where anybody's story begins, okay? Your story, my story does not start with our sin. Our stories start somewhere else. And so if you want to know where your story starts, you really have to go back to the beginning. Well, what do you mean the beginning? I mean like in the beginning. I mean like two chapters earlier, Genesis 1. So in the beginning, God creates, right? God creates the heavens and the earth. And if I can get all this down in my head correctly, it goes something like this. He creates light and then he separates the water and makes dry ground and then he creates sun and moon and stars and then he creates what um, creatures that are going to live in the water and then he creates the birds that fly above the earth and then he creates the living creatures on the earth and then you get to verse 26 in chapter 1 and here's what happens then God said let us Trinity involved in creation that we talked about two weeks ago the spirits hovering the earth Without Jesus, nothing was made that was made. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. God created you in His image, in His likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, 
over the livestock and over the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God, listen to these words, created mankind. Talking about you now. Created mankind in his own image. Wow. Keep going. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now listen to these next few words. Okay, God saw all that he made. And what does God say about his creation, including you? God said, it is very good. So, so you just got to wrap your head around something, okay? Your story doesn't start with sin. Your story starts with the fact that God created you in his image. And he said, you are very good. And so one of the things that James Bryan Smith challenges us to do, and I wish you would buy the book and read it, he says, we talk a lot about original sin. Why do we never talk about original goodness? Because before there was sin, there was good. So what is my identity? Well, let me start at the beginning. I was created in God's image, <laughs> in God's likeness. Who would have thought? That's where my story begins. That's my identity. Now, I know, I know, I know, so I'll just stop and I'll just deal with it because you want me to deal with it because you're sitting there saying, okay, I, I hear you and I like the fact that I was made in God's likeness, but sometimes I don't think I'm very much like God. In fact, I got a feeling that there's some of us who would say there have been seasons of my life, Rick, where I was nothing like God. I mean, I have done things that made me opposite of God. And that's because every time we choose to sin, we distort God's likeness in us. Every time we choose to sin, we distort God's likeness in us. So let's talk about the fallout for a minute, okay? Let's talk about uh, things we lose in life. Um, you, you lose some things that are insignificant. It, it, it doesn't matter in the scheme of all of life. So when you get to this place in your life that you realize, you know what, I think I'm getting ready to check out in a few days. I think I'm actually getting ready to leave this world. I mean, I think I'm going to make the big exit here soon, right away. The fact that you lost your car keys or a sock is not going to matter to you. It's insignificant. But remembering when you lost your integrity... That's a big deal. Or when you lost your reputation. That's significant. Or when you lost innocence. Or when relationships were lost. 
I'm, I'm wanting you to think with me about the fact that you were created with this longing to be good, right? But there's this problem of sin. But, but wait a minute, that's not, that's not the beginning of my story. The beginning of my story is that I was created in the image of God and God said it was very good. But wow, when I sit here this morning, I think about my life. Because of my sin, I've lost a lot. Drum roll. I need you back, Gage. Not really, but it would be great if we would have thought of that in advance. You ready for this? Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Wow. So you're telling me that all of this that I lost, God loves me so much that He gave His one and only Son and Jesus came into this world and He said, you know what I want to do for you, Rick? I want to restore, I want to reclaim everything that you lost. And I want you to be the person that God created you to be. Good. My goodness. And so now... It's like my life, I live out of response to what Jesus has done for me. We're in this second Sunday of Lent, and during Lent I've been using John Wesley's covenant prayer in my daily devotions. And his prayer starts like this. Father, you have given your life for me. Let me now give my life for you. It, it, it's, it's that Jesus would do this for me? That, that Jesus would restore, that Jesus would reclaim all of this that I lost and, and now my life has lived out of response then, then I want to I give my life to you. So let me talk to you about danger, okay? Just in, and I'm done. This is it. Just There's some danger. And the danger is that if, if, if your story is like my story was for years, I'm just, I'm, I'm a... I have sinned, I'm, I'm rotten, I'm, I'm kind of no account, I'm, I'm, I'm no good, I just, I'm bad. And God, understandably, is mad. But thank the Lord, Jesus, you know, took my beating, and, and so if I just try really hard, maybe I might still yet somehow make it to heaven. I don't find a lot of hope. But if this is my story, Rick Harvey, the God who created everything, He created you. And guess how He created you? He created you in His own image. He created you to be like Him. And when He created you, He said, this is good. In fact, this is very good. And albeit, no denial, open confession, I have sinned. And I have lost a lot. But Jesus has come to seek and to save what was lost in my sin so that I could live the life that God created me to live. You like that story? I love that story. In that story, I find a ton of hope. So why don't we jump up on our feet real quick, okay? band's going to come. We're going to sing together. We're going to celebrate what Jesus has done for us in restoring what has been lost and uh, we're just going to be very thankful today before we leave. So let me pray for you. Father, 
would you just do this for us? Would you just help us to understand the right story? And over the years, we've been told things and we've come to believe things. But man, help us to get the story right. And help us to see ourselves for who we really are and to know our own story. And our story is the fact that you created us in your image and your likeness. And you said this is good. And our sin we have made terrible mistakes. And we have lost so much. But thank you for sending your only son Jesus who came into this world to seek and to save what we have lost. And you want to restore us to be the people we were created to be good. And created to do good works in this world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.